You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. So now what? Well, you can join me, Pastor Allen, and my colleague, Pastor Carissa, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Soft Idolatry. This is a very special episode today. Alan, do you know why this is a special episode today? What makes this episode more special than all of the other episodes, Carissa? Well, there's two things. Can you guess what those two things might be? I don't know. Can I guess? Well, I could steal your thunder and say we're both in the same room for once. We are. Usually we record uh, remotely. We call via Skype and record, and we have a great editor who puts that all together. There's actually a second reason that this is a great episode, too. Number 11 is a very special number. It's a special number. Well, I was just going to say we're not so distant now. True. And also, it's a palindrome. It's a pretty lame palindrome. It's really just a repetition of the digit one. I mean, sure. <laughs> but it is. It's it's nice to be uh, recording live in the same room and uh, be able to to see each other in person as we record. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan, are you reading anything new this week? I know you've been traveling. No, I, I really haven't uh, changed any of the books that I'm reading. I, I have had too little time and energy to read either for fun or for work, but I am technically on vacation for a few more hours, so I am trying not to do the things that qualify as work. This is sort of work, but it's more fun than a lot of the other work that we do. That's fair. <laughs> it surely is. It surely is. And I'm also not reading anything new. It was quite a long week for me, indeed. It was a long week. Do, do we need to have a check-in? I know we don't normally do this, but... You're right, we don't normally do this, but we are live in the same room today, which makes that feel a little more natural, even though we've seen each other over the past few days more than uh, normal. And yeah, I have had an emotional week. How are you today? Well, I'm, I'm still majorly annoyed. Um, the other night I was out at the store and I pulled out my credit card to pay for a purchase and my credit card was declined. Yeesh. I had used the credit card literally the day before. And I get home, and after uh, all of the time that it takes to connect to customer service, the customer service rep asks, didn't you get your new credit card? What new credit card, I said. Oh, well, there was a, there was a fraud complaint with one of the merchants you do business with, so we closed that one and sent you a new credit card. Uh, and I said, well, I didn't get it. She said, well, we sent it out three weeks ago. And finally, after uh, going back and forth and getting transferred to a different customer service rep, we found out that even though I had changed my address in the system when I moved to New Jersey, they still sent it to Western Pennsylvania. And <laughs> so it took a, a lot of going around and around and, uh, and finally... They, they overnighted it to me, but, of course, I was traveling the next day, so they actually overnighted it to Carissa because I was going to see her the, the day I was traveling. So yep. um, I, 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 was, I was just livid over the whole thing. This just drove me insane. Um, 
as we are talking today about suffering, that makes me think about um, that being right up there with my recent first world problem of having to change my cat's appointment at the groomer so that I could go pick up my new iPhone. You uh, <laughs> really, really having a hard life there, man. Yeah, those those are some classic first world problems of, of not having access to my line of credit 24-7. And, uh, <laughs> and and you be not being able to upgrade your iPhone. Oh, no, I was able to upgrade it. My cat's groomer was very gracious about the whole thing. <laughs> but uh, I was actually going a little bit deeper. My, my week was kind of emotional because we had to say goodbye to our dog yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was 15 years old and in a lot of pain, and it was just time. And then we're reading all these texts about suffering. <laughs> Um, and, you know, grief over a pet is not the same sort of suffering that we're, we're seeing in these texts that we're reading today. Uh, but it still kind of sucks to have yeah. that all come together at the same time. So uh, It's not exactly Christian martyrdom. No, no, not, not exactly. So what, what are your supporting texts? What is your supporting text for this week? So I'm going to be using um, Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4, and Habakkuk 2 one through four. How about I read those? How about you do that? All right. It's almost like we planned this out or something. Mm. <laughs> don't, shh, don't spoil the illusion. <laughs> there, I don't think anyone is under any illusions about any of this at all. All right. So this is Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4, and Habakkuk 2, 1 through 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Good passage. My supporting text is Luke 17, verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith! And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Also a fascinating text. Indeed. 
And our, our principal text today, the one that comes from these two letters to Timothy that we're cycling through right now, is 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, our over, our overarching theme in this series is identity in Christ. And I think, the well, not I think, the reason I'm including the reading from Luke as my supporting text is that I think it gets to some of our principal misunderstandings about faith and identity. I think that too often we have this understanding of the word faith as something that happens in the intellectual domains or in our cognitive functioning when faith is as much what we believe as what we do. It is how we express our love for God. It is how we follow Jesus. It is where we put our bodies. It is how we use our hands and feet. That's faith. But the disciples think that it is some kind of quality that can be bestowed upon them by Jesus, that Jesus can somehow give them more of this thing. And I think that this is entirely the wrong notion, and Jesus kind of shouts that at them. Uh, he, he takes them to task for their understanding of faith. And the central idea here, and I think what will probably be my sermon title, is Use It or Lose It. Faith is what we do. So if you are feeling not enough faith, keep doing the things that require faith. 
keep recharging those batteries. Yeah. First, f first of all, the most important thing is not our faith in God. It's God's faithfulness to us. That's where faith begins. And if we are having trouble seeing that, then we can work harder to find that. We can study it more. We can get more involved in the ministries of the Christ who calls us to come and follow him. Now, this brings to mind a number of things as I talk through this. Um, first off is the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who talked about the cost of discipleship. And this is one of the points of contact between the reading in Luke and the reading from Second Timothy. Um, Paul talks in verse 12 about suffering for his faith. And I think all of our lives in this country at this time, not all of our lives, most of our lives are so comfortable that we don't have a good appreciation of suffering. And so we do a poor job of differentiating between suffering and annoyance. That's why we began with these annoying first world problems that we have today. Have you ever heard the Weird Al song? This is such a diversion right now, but the Weird Al song, First World Problems? I have not. I will definitely link the YouTube video to that in the show notes. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, we, we are so self-absorbed and wrapped up in our own lives and little problems like not having a credit card 24-7. Um, little problems like having to wait or not having to wait for our new iPhones, or, or problems like the threat of having to wait an extra day for the new iPhone so that we can make the cat groomer's appointment. We have all of these things because we live in our own little bubbles, and when we are in those bubbles, we don't see the suffering of others, and we don't see places where people are really struggling. I believe that suffering is characterized by isolation. It is characterized by being cut off from people whom you love or relationships that give you life. And I, th this is not meant to be a very... Um, it's not meant to be a definition with a lot of granular detail... And I, and I want to hesitate to not say real suffering versus fake suffering because I don't want to trivialize things that are real problems that I don't see because I'm not in the midst of that suffering. But there is definitely a corrective needed for all of us in the differentiation between annoyance and suffering. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Um so one thing that annoys me right now, <laughs> <laughs> with good reason, <laughs> for, for a nice transition here, is uh, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. That is not what annoys me. I'm mm -hmm. all for having that uh, particular observance. I think it's important. But in our Presbyterian planning calendar, the Sunday that is demarcated for Domestic Violence Awareness is the same Sunday that we celebrate World Communion Sunday. That is a huge 
problem, if you ask me, because what we've essentially said is uh, domestic violence awareness, one of the most prevalent forms of suffering in our country. In our world. In our world, anywhere, correct. Um, it knows no national boundaries or socioeconomic boundaries or racial boundaries or anything like that. One of these most prevalent problems, we say, okay, yeah, we'll give it a Sunday, but it's going to have to share the spotlight with World Communion Sunday. Well, aside from someone who, like myself, is a survivor of domestic violence, who is going to choose that over World Communion Sunday? We've just forced it to, um, to compete with an observance of one of our sacraments. We only have two sacraments in the Presbyterian Church, and we're going to force this to compete with one of them. And at the same time that, theoretically, all Christians around the world are united in this sacrament. Exactly. So you feel like a schmuck if you ignore World Communion Sunday. But how dare we shortchange um, recognition of such a prevalent problem in our world? Mm -hmm. um, something, you know, in your congregation, if you have, um, you know, uh, four people in your congregation. This I'm bad with math, so we're going to have a real small congregation mm -hmm. here. One of them has suffered domestic violence of some sort, either um, parental abuse against a child or spousal abuse, something along those lines. So not to complicate the mathematics on this, but there is definitely going to be a gender breakdown in this. Yes. And I don't think there are too many of us who would be drawing salaries from a Presbyterian congregation of just four people. It's not. It's not impossible. But not many of us. Not impossible, but not probable. But that's the math, right? So one in four people, generally speaking, um, has suffered domestic violence of some sort. This knows no gender boundaries. Um, now, women tend to be more prone to it mm -hmm. simply because we are physically smaller and traditionally have been given less social power, right? Um, people of color are more at risk for the same reasons. Children are more at risk physically smaller, no social capital, again, those same things. However, it's found in every um, social class, every race, every country, everywhere, um, every church, frankly. And um, so this is my, <laughs> my annoyance right now, is trying to figure out how to reconcile honoring that we need to be aware of this, and we need to be talking about it in our pews. It's uncomfortable, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But we are called to talk about the uncomfortable. Correct. Though it is, I think, a challenge because we live in a world that has worked to construct a reality, a false reality, in which there is no discomfort anywhere. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to riff on this just a little bit and say that one of my great surprises when I got to seminary was to find out in a pastoral care class how many of my classmates had never been to a funeral. Hmm. These were people who were, you know, 25, 26, 28 years old. Now, some of them perhaps lived in different parts of the country where, from the rest of their family, but there is an idea out there now that children can't handle funerals, so children don't get taken to funerals or even visitations, and then what happens when they finally have to go to a funeral is, oh, right, they can't handle it, <laughs> you know? So maybe the thing to do is to take them, obviously, you know your own children best and what does and doesn't work. But as a general principle, I would say, 
Take your kids to funerals. Let them know. Yes, death sucks. Saying goodbye sucks. But like using faith, if you practice this, it gets less difficult. doesn't make it easier to say goodbye, but it makes it easier to walk through the social ritual. Yeah, I like that. And that's helpful as well if we're talking about we don't want to um, demean or diminish anyone's pain, but we also don't want to say that, um, you know, picking up my iPhone half an hour later or taking my cat to the groomer half an hour earlier was actual suffering, right? There's like the, there's a sliding scale from uh, annoyance to discomfort to true suffering. Right. And if we can't even deal with the discomfort for instance the discomfort of listening to a guest speaker or a sermon that focuses seriously on domestic violence then those of us who have not seen it firsthand who have not been on the receiving end of it will not know how to recognize it in the world around us right right and when we think about how it's vulnerable populations, children, racial minorities, women who are more at risk of, of violent acts against them, Scripture calls us to care for the weak and the vulnerable. It does, to uphold the widow and the orphan, to welcome the stranger, the foreigner, the refugee. It calls us to, oh my goodness, actually go out and engage with the prisoner the person who is being punished for his or her crimes, we're still kind of called to go out and engage with that person. Not kind of. No, not kind of <laughs> at all. Not kind of at all. That was well, dramatic emphasis. And, you know, I, I do spend a lot of time with, with prisoners. Uh, I go into the jail almost weekly to teach a class on trauma and abuse recovery. And one of the things that I find time and time again is most of the women that I'm working with there are there because of some sort of abuse or trauma in their past. And not having the coping skills to deal with that and then reaching out in wrong ways that lead to criminal behavior or being connected to boyfriends or husbands that are exhibiting criminal behavior and they get charged along with the boyfriend or husband, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And then there's all of the negative coping skills that go along with, um, you know, with, with trauma and negative coping skills like uh, drugs and alcohol and... Keeping secrets. Snitches get stitches. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. Then you get into the people don't want to report this stuff because exactly. it's uncomfortable. People don't like it. People don't believe exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we are now, I think, drifting into definitions of suffering that are beyond that defi that realm of what is just uncomfortable or unpleasant. Um, physical abuse is suffering. Uh, disconnection is suffering. And this is an aspect of the lives of a lot of people of great faith. I mentioned earlier the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Bonhoeffer was part of a group in Germany in the 1930s called the Confessing Church, and they felt that the existing churches were too closely connected to the German state. And to, to compress the story a bit, uh, Bonhoeffer himself would end up in a concentration camp and would die in a Nazi concentration camp for his faith. 
you know, go, going back to the Apostle Paul, to the Apostle Peter. These are individuals who literally physically suffered for their faith. They were persecuted. They died. They have suffered. Paul, in this letter, is talking about suffering for the faith, and he's probably speaking of his isolation in a Roman prison as he is awaiting trial. So those are all kinds of examples of what happens when we cross the line from discomfort to suffering. What does it look like? And it's easy when we have a letter from Paul where he says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ. It's easy to discern that's what that means. Recognizing a victim of domestic violence is not always as clear-cut and easy. Many people are good at hiding it, whether it is the woman who was abused by her husband or the husband who is doing the abuse. It continues in part because there is shame and stigma attached, because secrets are kept, and because in relationships one person is using his or her power over the other to maintain a very toxic status quo. Our overarching theme for this section is identity in Christ. And identity and suffering are intertwined in a lot of ways. Um, Some people identify themselves by their suffering. Um, For many people, the suffering um, causes a loss of identity or a misidentity, both for the sufferer and if there's a perpetrator causing the suffering, um, that does damage to their identity in Christ as well. It really, what one of the things that can happen is the identities of the victim and victimizer can become fused. Mm -hmm. And then for both of them, there is not room for a relationship with Christ with the Jesus who calls us to self-sacrifice, with the Jesus who calls us to love one another as he has loved us. Right, right. And when we look at this passage from 2 Timothy 2, it talks about not living in a spirit of fear, and that's kind of a direct damage to the identity that we see, too. If you're living in a spirit of fear, that is is counter to your identity in Christ, and causing others to live in that spirit of fear is counter- to identity in Christ, because we are called to help one another live into our identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's really um, part of our identity in Christ, is pulling people out of isolation. It is breaking down walls of hostility. Um, I, I forget, have we on this podcast talked about the Confession of Belar? I believe you talked about that last week. <laughs> okay. See, I, ne- I never remember what I say. The good part is I'm usually consistent. I say the same things over and over. I just forget that I've said them the first time. Years of friendship lead me to agree that that is absolutely true. <laughs> but, for, but for a quick rehash, this confessional statement comes out of a splinter group in the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa in the 1980s, and it is a condemnation of the official government policy of apartheid. Among other things, that 
confession says that separation is sin. So it is our job to overcome the sin of the world and transform the sin of, of the world by eliminating isolation, by pulling people out of isolating relationships, by helping people who are isolated by their illness to come out of that illnesses, physical illnesses or mental illnesses, to come out of that isolation, to come out of that stigma. So all of these are ways that we can practice the faith. This is how we increase our faith in God. We go out there and do the work. And part of that means sometimes getting past things that annoy us or scare us. Often those are things that come from bad teaching, things that we have mislearned in church. And this is also what, what Paul is talking about in the letter to Timothy. He is saying, free yourselves from bad doctrine, more or less. That's my gloss. It's a, it's a valid gloss. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and one of the interesting things about this passage is that it it has this intergenerational aspect to it, right? It talks about Timothy's mother and grandmother, which, for the record, is one affirmation there of women's place in teaching, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to go back a couple weeks a little bit there. Um, but, it you know, he talks about... Um, how it is through the faith of his grandmother and his mother in teaching Timothy that now undoubtedly Timothy has uh, has this great faith and this this uh, strong relationship with with God and a lot of folks lead with this. I was reading Feasting on the Word. That's one of the commentaries that I that I like, and um, that that was brought up in this particular passage in that. Um, we have to use caution with how we refer to any analogy or metaphor or phrasing like that in scripture uh, because we have a lot of folks in our pews who did raise their children in the church and their children aren't there anymore. They went off to college and didn't come back to church. And so you have these congregations that are kind of losing hope, right? Because they've got a bunch of of baby boomers, folks the age of our parents, our meaning, Alan and I, I'm not assuming everyone listening is a Gen Xer, right? (laughs) Um, And then, you know, you've got a handful of Gen Xers like Mm -hmm. us and um, very few folks in younger generations and at least in churches that tend to be boomer heavy, right? Right. And I'm not saying this to bring up that whole like boomer versus millennials debate that drives me wild hey guys there's a whole generation of us in between uh-huh. you uh-huh. um we we are the generational middle child we really are we absolutely are the generational middle child but anyway uh we as as pastors and as leaders and teachers in the church need to be cautious how we use this mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons we may have folks in our in our church who are feeling that sore spot or that guilt or that shame associated with their kids not being at church anymore. Mm-hmm. We also have to be aware that there are people in our pews whose parents were not Lois and Eunice. Their Correct. parents were awful. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, not not to go off on 
a separate tangent here. You but would never do I that. I would never do that. But now that I live in New Jersey, how can I not think of The Sopranos? Um, <laughs> You've also mentioned that. Did it. I mention this before? Uh, I, I thought. I thought this was just our conversation that didn't make it into the podcast. No, I think you've actually shared this story before. <laughs> Go ahead. Do, okay. I know which one you're sharing. So, so, yeah, one of the things that I loved about that series is it had an evil mother in the series. And our American culture says, yay, mom and apple pie, which, you know, yes, I have a wonderful mother. But not everybody did. And... There are a lot of people out there who bear scars, emotional scars, physical scars, from bad parental relationships. And so I, I just love that they had the courage to go there. Uh, but yeah, we have to be cognizant of that and know that even if the parents are no longer there, we need to be resources for a different sort of reconciliation for our congregants. Right. And just for the record, um, if my parents happen to be listening, you're awesome too. Just want to put that out there. Christmas is coming. <laughs> <laughs> At least you didn't say winter is coming. <laughs> Talk about a show with some messed up family values. Yeah, amen. <laughs> uh, if y'all haven't got on board with Game of Thrones yet, I can't help you. So... Yeah, this passage is meant to be encouraging. And we, as uh, teachers, preachers, Christians, fellow comrades in the faith, however you want to call it, we need to remember that we're to be encouraging to one another and sensitive that everybody has a different story. And so some of these things might strike people differently. Again, that's why we try to use gender-neutral language as much as possible on this podcast. Um, it's not to prove any kind of political point. It's simply because we want to be sensitive to everybody's story and background and make scripture accessible to people regardless of what the world has put them through. Um, and it's important to remember too that um, Paul, he's probably not the author of this, but whoever the author of this is that's claiming to be Paul, um, they're not necessarily bringing up this intergenerational aspect to mean that it has to be biological, right? Um, the point is that um, the faith is being passed on from generation to generation. It, can you think of an example uh, in our world of an intergenerational community in which faith is passed on from one to another who are not necessarily blood relatives? You mean like church? Like church? Oh my goodness! That's groundbreaking. I may even have preached something to this effect, that our church families can be our surrogate families. They can be our surrogate families when we have, when we have had great birth families and we are just separated from them by distance or by death. And even more importantly, for people who did not have healthy relationships with birth families and whatnot, church can really fill that role. Church should really feel, fill that role. Correct. Yeah. And we, <laughs> if we are worried about the lack of people in our pews, then perhaps this is a chance to practice the faith and go out there and be family to more people. That is revolutionary. Indeed. It sounds like something that 
crazy Jesus guy might say. It does indeed. This might even be our spiritual practice for the week. I think that it might be. <laughs> Perhaps what we could do in this coming week is look for people around us who are suffering and offer them Jesus not in the form of a speech or an intellectual understanding. Or a pamphlet. Or a pamphlet. I don't know. I mean, pamphlets... Gosh, that's so you, many people come to church because of pamphlets and bumper stickers. You know, if you are cold and tired, you can take pamphlets and light them on fire and get some warmth. <laughs> you can't light bumper stickers on fire easily, though. Well, if you mix them in with some pamphlets. You gotta peel them off the car first. It's a thing. Oh yeah, 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 it's yeah. A whole okay, thing. that that's different. That's different. <laughs> you wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to warm up next to a car fire. That would just be all kinds of <laughs> dangerous. That is ill advised. Children don't try this at home. So, so in all seriousness, find someone in your midst who is suffering, and literally or metaphorically, put your arm around them and walk with them. Don't tell them you love them. Show them you love them. Practice your faith by practicing love in community and in communion with someone who is suffering. And I think at the same time, too, we can be looking out for who are those people that are our spiritual family. Mm -hmm. um, who are the folks that have done that for us? Who are the folks that have helped bring us along in the faith as well? It can be very hard to walk alongside people who are suffering. Mm -hmm. Especially if they are people we don't yet know. So practice might be doing that in your church family if you have one. Yeah, and, and making sure that we are going back to those, those people who are older than us in the faith to have their support and ask their advice when we are practicing this, walking alongside those who are suffering. Shall I close us in prayer? That would be great. If you close us in prayer, I will offer a blessing and say farewell. God of grace and mercy, thank you for loving us into being and providing us with people who teach us in the faith, with spiritual mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles. Continue to send your Holy Spirit among them and among us so that we may remain united in faith and understand your love better through faith and go out into the world and share your love and bring more people into your beloved family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, friends, may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. Amen. Now, friends, farewell. Thank you for joining us for this very special palindrome episode of Soft Idolatry. I just got, like, a fantastic eye roll. Yes. That was, <laughs> that was lame the first time. It's worse now. <laughs> Uh, remember that if you have any questions, comments, or complaints about my uh, palindrome obsession, you're welcome to email us at info at softidolatry.com. You can also join us on Facebook, support us on Patreon, and check out our show notes by going to www.softidolatry.com. Thank you. I still remember that early episode of The Simpsons where Bart goes to the gifted class and 
he gets introduced to Ethan, who loves speaking in palindromes. <laughs> and, and, and he says, oh, Mem Sahib, Bart, Rabbi has memo. Now that's a palindrome. So is Taco Cat and Race Car. <laughs> well, I, I, I have to, I do have to support Taco Cat because tacos. And cats. 